ready to catch some rays because you're gonna be chilling at the card pool. I'm your host Stu Galetta. And I'm Kyle Robertson. And today we are talking about our top 10 hidden gems from Future Sight. This is part one of our two-part set review. Our second part will be the top 10 money cards of Future Sight. But without further ado, let's get on with our review. Let's dive right in, Kyle, and I'm gonna start off with my number 10, a very off the charts kind of card. It's called Rift Sweeper. This little guy costs two mana, one generic and a green, and it is an elf shaman on a 2-2 body. When Rift Sweeper comes into play, choose target face-up card that's removed from the game. Its owner shuffles it into his or her library. So right here, we have a very unique card that does something that you really don't find in the game of Magic. It returns a card from exile into the game again. Now, it's very hard to get that effect. Most things that exile something typically stay exiled and it's out of the game permanently. But with this little guy, that isn't the case anymore. And the fact that it's also an elf is very relevant considering how elves have very strong combo pieces that they need to work. Azuri is a great way for them to win. Rise if you're using tokens. Priest of Titania. These are all really strong cards that make it so that they can go ahead and overpower their enemies. So being able to get those pieces back after they're removed is very strong and it's very easy. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Stu. This is part of a very small subset of cards that does this. Ones that come to mind for me are Pull from Eternity, which puts cards from Exile back into the grave. Runic Repetition, which can basically buy you back an Exiled card with Flashback to your hand. This card can also reuse things after they've been permanently removed from the deck, so you can get key spells back that maybe one of the other players in the game used something like a Sadistic Sacrament to try and permanently get rid of from your deck, disable your combo, or something like that. Not anymore with this guy. I should mention, though, that he only returns face-up exiled cards to the deck, which kind of rules out face-down things like Gaunti, Lord of Luxury, and Pixis of Pandemonium. So it does still have its limits. And also, for that kind of effect, it's only on a 2-2 creature for 2 mana. So this makes it something very simple to come into play. It's not some sort of over-the-top extravagant card. You need like 7 or 8 mana to get its effect to go off. So I like it for this little bit of sideboarding. It's really easy just to throw in to any green deck. Moving on to my number 10 now, we've got a red card here, and it's a sorcery called Molten Disaster. Now, this is an X spell. It costs X and double red. And like I said, it's a sorcery. First of all, it has a kicker cost where you can pay an additional red mana as you play it. What does that mean? Well, we'll get to it in just a minute. Molten Disaster deals X damage to each creature without flying and each player. If the kicker cost was paid right here, Molten Disaster has Split Second. And Split Second is an ability that means as long as this spell is on the stack, players can't play spells or activated abilities that aren't mana abilities. So what that basically means here and what sets Molten Disaster apart from similar cards, I think, is the fact that you can, you don't have to, but you can give it Split Second. And just for one extra mana, that's really very small potatoes for an X spell like this. So most of the time, you should be giving this split second. What does this mean? Well, the bane of the existence of most X spells out there is the idea of getting counterspelled. You invest all of your mana into some giant fireball-like effect like this one, and then somebody counterspells you for a lousy one or two mana. That is the worst feeling in the world. Not quite as bad, but also possible somebody plays some kind of spell or ability that prevents damage. That also feels really, really bad when you play something like Molten Disaster. But with Split Second, your opponents can't respond to it. That means they can't respond with counter spells. They can't respond by activating other effects. If you have Split Second on this thing, the damage is going to go through and nothing anyone does can stop it. You're right, Kyle. That is what gives this card value. Because if you look at a card like Earthquake, it's essentially a little bit more of a costlier Earthquake. But for that kind of protection, it's really strong. And like you said with the Split Second, you can't respond. You can't sacrifice something. You can't go ahead and use a combo. You can't do anything. It just, you watch the field burn away. And that's the luxury about this. It literally creates a molten disaster. I should say, though, that it doesn't hit flying creatures, which could be a problem in some places in the game, I suppose. A slight bit of weakness to this card, but overall, I think the addition of Split Second makes this one of the more powerful mass burn options out there. Definitely. And moving to a card that actually would benefit off of this, 
My number nine is a card called Veilstone Amulet. Now this is a three drop artifact for just three generic, and it reads, whenever you play a spell, creatures you control can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponent control this turn. So this is a really undercosted, strong artifact that can go almost anywhere. It's recurrable hexproof at instant speed for your creatures, and that is really, really strong, because usually a card that has hexproof it's in the mana cost. Like you have to be able to pay a little extra to get that. Like you have to use an equipment like lightning grease or swift foot boots. And like you have to keep paying a little bit of extra mana to make it so it happens. Not anymore. You can just go ahead, sit back and play an instant on somebody else's turn. That is really strong because it is so deceptive to have you look like you're totally vulnerable. If you're thinking about a deck to run this, it really shines in any Spellslinger style. So like Riku of the Twin Reflections is really strong or any kind of is it deck like Mizzets is really strong for this as well. Well, one place that's kind of off the beaten track that I would prefer to play a card like this is in a deck like Afara God of the Polis. Which, for those of you who don't know, Afara is a creature, a god from the Theros flock, that kind of rewards you for playing creatures with flash, because every turn after you play a creature, you then get to draw a card. Flash creatures work very, very well with Veilstone Amulet, because you can play out the creatures at instant speed, triggering protection for all the other creatures you have, and the next time you do it, that creature that you played the last time can also gain protection, and so on and so on. It just makes a really nice way to protect your army and make sure you grow it at the most inconvenient times for your opponent and protect yourself from their removal. And even if you have some way to install Flash into your cards, Vidalcan Orrery, Winding Canyons, or some sort of combo piece on the field to do it, it just makes it really strong to make it so that you don't have to do anything on your turn and just reap the benefits on other people's. It's just a really strong card. I love it, and I really never see it in any deck. Speaking of a card that you don't really see all that often, but is kind of really awesome, we go to my number nine, Yixlid Jailer. Now, this is another two-mana creature in black this time. It costs one and one black, and it is a zombie wizard and a two-one at that. And it has a very simple effect. Cards in graveyards lose all abilities. A very understated, but really quite powerful effect, honestly. It's a very relevant creature type, two of them in fact, both a zombie and a wizard, although it's very unusual in black because it does something that zombies and even black in general doesn't usually like to do, which is stop people from messing with the graveyard. Black is usually the color that encourages people to mess with the graveyard. And note that this doesn't actually stop standard black reanimation spells. This just makes stuff that's already in the graveyard lose abilities. No more flashback, no more unearth. Those abilities of that kind of nature, even things like a bridge from below that trigger from the graveyard when things happen, no more with the Ixalid Jailer. It's very interesting in that effect, and I'm kind of surprised that I don't see more of this card because graveyard strategies overall can be pretty powerful. Yeah, and I mean, the card that really draws to mind for me is it's very like Ground Seal, like it's Green's version, it's just not a creature. But I mean, Green and Black, they do like their gray strategies, like Dredge is Green and Black. So it's very peculiar to have this kind of effect. So if you're running black and you play this, most people aren't going to have any idea what you're doing. And I mean, that inherently gives you an advantage, but it's just so baffling at that. So moving right along, we have a creature from my list that costs six mana. The Cattle War Pride. It costs three generic and triple green. It is a cat warrior with a 3-3 body, and it reads that this creature must be blocked by exactly one creature if able. Also, whenever this creature attacks, put X tokens into play tapped and attacking that are copies of this creature, where X are the number of creatures defending player controls. Remove the tokens from the game at the end of the turn. So this is a very powerful and strong card, and you can see why it costs six mana. So originally when you see the body three, three for six mana, and has to be three green mana at that, it kind of deters you from it. But this is a really strong card. It has a very strong niche for tribal cats. Erebo, Roar of the World, is a commander that just loves to sit in its zone and then buff up its cats. So if you go ahead and you play this card, when it comes to your next turn, you're going to go ahead, buff it up, and attack. And it's so strong to have a one creature that can grow an army. And you can see why that works, because Geist of St. Traff is a commander that creates its own tokens. And being able to propel itself by doing that, 
Now just put one card in the deck that can do that to a tremendous speed. You're really playing with fire right there. Yeah, I don't think this card is quite as good as Geist because it doesn't have Hexproof for one thing, which is just a really awesome ability. And also the tokens that it creates don't have flying and aren't giant angels. But hey, 3-3 three, three tokens and quite a few of them at that in one swing isn't bad at all. And remember, they are exact copies of Nakata War Pride, so they all have this kind of weird, must-be-blocked-by-one-creature-exactly-if-able kind of ability, which gives them a sort of protection and a sort of evasion, which makes them a lot better than just your everyday generic tokens. Very, very interesting. And this is also adding to quite a long list of cards that get a lot better when you use Sundial of the Infinite because of the silly little rules clauses that allow you to use Sundial to keep the tokens around so they don't get automatically exiled at the end of the turn. That's a great point, Kyle, because then if you do do that and you keep those tokens, those tokens then create more tokens when they attack. And that is just a ridiculous army to face. So yeah, if you're running Tribal Cats, throw this in, throw in Sundial the Infinite just for that reason alone. It is so powerful. Well, I'll move on to my number eight card now, also a green card, as it turns out, Rites of Flourishing. Now, this is an enchantment that costs two colorless and one green. At the beginning of each player's draw step, that player draws a card, and each player may play an additional land on each of his or her turns. This is very interesting because it's kind of a combination of several different cards, like Exploration and Gaia's Touch, and maybe something like Dictate of Crufix as well. Because for the low, low price of three mana, every turn you're getting to draw an additional card and play an additional land. That is just really, really good. And the places that this really shine are in politics-style decks, ones that don't necessarily care about giving your opponents the benefit of this as well, because it does apply to all players after all. I'm not sure if this card is really for everyone, but I just felt like I should bring it up because it's something I always consider when I'm building a green deck. It's something that I feel like a lot of people don't know exists, so let's raise awareness of cool cards. Yeah, every green deck I have, I always heavily consider this card. Again, like you said, drawing cards and laying lands, it accelerates the game. So if you typically have games go on for like ever, because nobody has been able to overpower another, this makes it so that decks who aren't turned on can turn on, and the ones that are can just accelerate past the other ones. So it's really good, and it's typically a card that once it's on the field, it stays on the field, unless one player is like, I'm way ahead. I don't want anyone to catch up. I'll remove this. I'll be that guy. So the only bad side about this is since it is such a group hug, group love kind of card, you just got to be careful because inherently you're giving the benefit to the other players for the fact that they get to draw a card first and they also get to play the land. So when you do play this card, you only get to play the land additional on your turn. So if you don't have one, you're not getting any value out of this card that turn. And you have to wait till it goes all the way around the circle and back to you. And then bam, now you get something. So it can be a little niche, and it's definitely not very good late game, but it is something that really drives the game forward. Now, moving from one card that drives the game forward to a one that just totally brings it back. My number seven is a card called Bitter Ordeal. It costs as well as three mana, two generic and a black, and it is a sorcery. And it reads, search target player's library for a card and remove that card from the game. Then that player shuffles his or her library. Lastly, this has Gravestorm, which is an unusual effect that reads, when you play this spell, copy it for each permanent put into a graveyard this turn. You may choose new targets for this copy. This is a card that you would typically see being played after any board wipe. Now we're in black, so you're talking Damnation, you're talking Engaric's Wake, or you're talking Toxic Deluge. Really easy cards to play and just blow up the field. So let's say you are fighting a token army. They have 10 tokens. You go ahead, you board wipe, you play this. Gravestorm goes off. You do this card 10 times. 10 times. And that is just absurd to me because this is pretty much a more recurrable version of Praetor's Grasp because it's literally the same thing. It's a little bit easier on the mana. And it can just go off for no reason. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, Gravestorm is actually really, really easy to get a big storm count, much like the original storm that this is kind of a riff off of. And it's used as quite a dependable win condition in actually several different formats because of the ease of putting together 
infinite sack outlets. Right off the top of my head, I can think of Karmic Guide, Revelark, plus some kind of free sack outlet, usually Ashnod's Altar or Viscera Seer or something like that. Taken by themselves, those outlets don't really do a whole lot. You need another ingredient in there in order to actually end games. Bitter Ordeal is that ingredient, and it can reliably mill people out in a way they can't recover from, being that it's exile. Also, even if you don't get Gravestorm up that high and you can only exile a handful of cards from an opponent's deck, as we were talking about earlier with Rift Sweeper, those kind of cards are played and they are still pretty darn good because they can stop combos before they happen, stop really, really awesome cards that can break the game from being played. These kind of cards are powerful in their own way, and Bitter Ordeal, with the Gravestorm tacked on, may be one of the more powerful ones. It also seems nuts to me if you get the sack out going on, or you just happen to blow up enough permanents on the field, you can inherently win via pseudo-mill. If there are no more cards in their deck, they lose instantly right there. So if you exile, exile someone's entire deck, that's just ridiculous. And I mean, my hat's off to you if you are actually able to pull that off. Yes, and we're kind of taking a field trip back to Cat Tribal in some ways for this. It's number seven on my list, Sets Tiger. This is a white creature. It costs two and double white, and it's a cat, as I mentioned. It's also a 3-3, and it has flash, meaning, of course, that you can play it at any time. You could play an instant. When Sets Tiger comes into play, you gain protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. We've talked about protection quite a bit, and there are so, so, so many things that protection saves you from. Being targeted with card effects, being enchanted as a player with things, being dealt damage by things of that color. It's like Teferi's protection. It basically makes sure that... Whatever color you decide, nothing of that color from any player can touch you the turn that you play this card. It's very much more limited than just phasing an entire player out of the game like Teferi's Protection does. But in some cases, especially if you're playing against monocolor decks, and even maybe other dual or tricolor decks that rely heavily on a certain color and can cover a lot of cards, it's still almost that good. And Flash just adds so much value to this that it's crazy. Something like this coming from out of the blue, it's kind of like a fog, but even better. And fog on a body, I will never turn down. Better fog on a body that covers so many different kinds of terrible things other people can try to do to you. That's pretty darn awesome. And in a tribe that's relevant too. I could see this being in a white good stuff kind of deck, just for like the fact that Eldrazi Displacer is a white creature, so that you go ahead... You play the Displacer, you play this guy, and then at any turn you can go ahead for three mana, blink him out, comes back into play, and you have protection. That means right there you don't have to declare blockers. So they can come ahead and attack you with everything. It doesn't matter. You don't need a block. You don't have to do anything. You just take flat out nothing. Now again, this is a little weak because you have to declare a color. Colorless creatures such as like artifact creatures or Eldrazi for that matter get around this so it isn't as untouchable as something like Tefri's protection but it is still a really strong card. This card I have for my number six coming up is something that made me scratch my head and I'm hoping it does something similar to you guys out there. My number six is Spellweaver Volute. It costs five mana, three generic and double blue and it is an enchantment aura. Enchant instant in a graveyard. Whenever you play a sorcery spell Copy the enchanted instant card. You may play that card without paying its mana cost. If you do, remove the enchanted card from the game and attach Spellweaver Volute to another instant card in a graveyard. So this is a very peculiar, very strong card that I have never heard of or ever seen of before in my entire life. It's pretty much Animate Dead for instance, and that is a super, super strong card right there because... Right here, it doesn't have to be in just your graveyard, it's any graveyard. So if anyone has played a single thing like Evacuation or a kill spell like, I don't know, Sword to Plowshares, there's so many good cards in every color that rely on instants. And for five mana, being able to recur them just at the fact of casting a sorcery is very simple and very easy. It's almost like giving it flashback, like you see with a lot of other good decks. However, I should add that while I also think this card is really, really cool and have tried to play with it in the past, it is also sort of counterintuitive for the types of spellslinger strategies you would think to stick it into. For one thing, it's an enchantment and an aura at that, which makes it 
kind of weird to stick into a heavily instant and sorcery based deck and not maybe very easy to search out. But also, it only makes instants from your grave at sorcery speed, which is slightly inconvenient at times as it doesn't really work at all with counter spells unless you really, really jump through hoops for it. It has to require a relatively even ratio of instants and sorceries in the deck, because if you don't have enough sorceries to reliably trigger this card, what's the point, right? So you do have to do a little bit of building around to really make this card worthwhile, I also kind of think that there are better recursion methods, for instance, in sorceries like an Archaeomancer or a Call to Mind that can repeatedly maybe get things back rather than the one-shot-in-exile that this card kind of provides. But still, it's almost like flashback, and that's still pretty good, so I'd consider it. It does make sense because, again, it's only as strong as the sorceries that you're playing. But you're in blue. Blue plays tons of draw spells out there, or even tutor effects. Play a Fabricate. Why not get something from the grave? It almost gives you the kind of freedom of Duvium Primordial and the fact that you have access to everyone's grave. And then also that you can remove stuff. So let's say they have some sort of instant in there that is really powerful, and you know that they can go ahead and recur it. Play this, target that, exile it. It's gone for good. So here it is something that is versatile. It may be a little niche, but it's definitely a strong card on the field. And also, by the way, to note, this is an enchantment R on the field that's tagged to a card in the grave. Could you imagine how goofy that setup looks? It's just something that it's like the people who designed this card definitely had a sense of humor because it totally is just so counterintuitive to how you would play the game. And it is interesting, Stu, because I didn't really realize before reading this that, yeah, you can actually target other players, which does certainly add to its value. I mean having access to potential effects that you wouldn't normally in whatever deck you're playing is pretty much always a good thing. So hey, maybe that's a point in this card's favor as well. Now moving on to my number six, it's part blue, but also part red. So kind of going along with this Spellslinger theme we seem to have going here, it's Joyra of the Gitu. This is a legendary blue and red creature, costs one colorless, a blue and a red, and it is a legendary creature and a human wizard at that, and a 2-2. You can tap two colorless to exile a non-land card in your hand from the game and put four time counters on it, and if it doesn't have suspend, it gains suspend. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with suspend, at the beginning of each of your upkeeps, you then take a time counter off that exiled card, and when the last time counter is removed, you automatically play it without paying its mana cost. Additionally, if the suspended card that comes into play was a creature, it has haste. This is a very, very strong commander option, and is really, really good in both casual or competitive fields with cheating big spells into play. There are also ways to manipulate time counters and your upkeeps, like Paradox Haze or Fury Charm, for example, that can either take time counters off or put time counters on, so you can kind of reorder the way that cards come into play that best suit you. Even if you have to wait for it, though, the idea of giving all your creatures haste and discounting them from whatever the heck cost they were down to two mana, basically, that's pretty amazing. And a really unfriendly way to use this is with mass land destruction. Unfortunately, that's kind of the way a lot of people go with Joyra competitively, which means if you suspend something dumb like a Decree of Annihilation and exile everybody's lands, you've still got suspend stuff that's waiting to come in. More than likely, nobody else has anything, and you're just going to win the game if that happens. I mean, that's unavoidable. I mean, especially with this being in blue, they're going to be running their mana rocks. So, like, as long as they keep that soul ring alive, they can just keep going ahead and suspending more cards and keep the field going with big, giant, stupid creatures. Now, one thing I do like to note about this is typically for blue-red, you see a lot of, like, spell slinger, instant sorceries kind of style. With Joira, you typically see a creature build. And I like that just for this like pure different style points from blue red. And that's really cool. And I mean, there's also why you would see in this deck people running something like, you know, a sneak attack or like a quicksilver amulet. So this way you can consistently cheat stuff into play. But also remember, colorless, we've already talked about Eldrazi. Use either Ulamog, like either Ulamog, new Ulamog or old school Ulamog. 
getting those out at like, I don't know, way under costed mana cost for two, granted it takes four turns, is ridiculous. No one's going to be ready for that, and especially if you're destroying the lands or blowing up the field. When those hit, they're going to hit really hard, and that's the whole point of this deck. Well, it looks like I'm swapping over from blue to red with you, Kyle, because my number five is a card called Grinning Ignis. It is a creature elemental on a 2-2 body that costs three mana, two generic and a red. And it reads, for one red mana, return Grinning Ignis to its owner's hand. Add two generic and a red to your mana pool. Play this ability only any time you could play a sorcery. So this is a very interesting creature because it generates mana. Now, typically, when you see some sort of things like this, you instantly start thinking that it can be a way to generate infinite combos. And after looking online, there wasn't a whole lot that I saw. But however, something that I came up with is if you go ahead and you go and put this with something like Semblance Anvil, like if you have gone ahead and made it so that this way you've exiled or imprinted some sort of creature, that cost of two mana for it to come back into play now only is just one red. So you play one red, you pay a red. You get two generic mana to your mana pool. Like you can grow your mana infinitely for as much as you want right there. It is ridiculous. So you can inherently come up with an infinite combo just from two simple cards. Now again, let's say that isn't your style. This is a tribal strategy for, I don't know, elementals. Horde of Notions is the iconic commander for elementals. But you are already can run stuff to lower cost, like Bright Hearth Banneret, which can lower the cost by one. And there's tons of other things in the games of Magic to lower the cost. So inherently, you don't need just the Anvil, but you can make huge amounts of mana with this just very simple card yeah the value i see in this card is that it is a one card storm enabler and on a creature too that's really not something i would have expected like you said Stu, it's not broken on its own but when used with other things it really can be quite easily and this doesn't work with cards like the gravestorm bitter ordeal but it does work with your classic storm cards like mind's desire grape shot brain freeze all of those. So if you're going to be playing a Storm kind of deck, maybe this is something you want to consider, even though it is a creature. Well, I'm going to seesaw right back over to blue with another creature of my own, but again, with a kind of spell-like effect. Number five on my list is Vidalcan Aether Mage. This is a blue Vidalcan Wizard, and it costs two, one colorless and one blue, on a 1-2 body. It has Flash, once again, which means, of course, you can play it any time you could play an instant. When Vidalcan Aether Mage enters the battlefield, you may return target Sliver to its owner's hand. It also has the Wizard Cycling ability, which is very interesting because you can tap 3 mana, discard Vidalcan Aether Mage, and search your deck for any Wizard card to put it into your hand. Now, let's get out of the way right away this ETB effect. You're pretty much almost never going to be using this card for that. It could randomly come up because it's good against slivers, obviously. It could also get rid of some random changeling card here and there, but that's really not the point of this card. The point is the wizard cycling ability. There have been all different kinds of rifts on cycling, like land cycling and that whole kind of thing. But this specific type cycling is pretty much unheard of. The only other card like it is Future Sight's Homing Sliver, which gives all slivers sliver cycling, which maybe there's some kind of interplay between these cards. I don't really know. Flash speed for both abilities, both the cycling and the ETB, is great. And as you said before, Stu... Hey, it could be a flash speed chump blocker, which is never really that bad. Also, the fact that it's a creature means it can be recurred to the hand very, very easily if it's discarded for that cycling ability through something like Phyrexian Reclamation. I personally play this in my Inala Wizard Tribal deck, and while the ETB rarely ever comes into play, the tutor for any type of wizard from my deck is just way, way too valuable to pass up. This is one of your better tutor options out there. Blue usually tries to find its answers by drawing cards. Now, being able to troubleshoot all that and just get the card directly to your hand is really, really strong. And that's why Black runs the tutors that it does. Demonic or Diabolic Tutor, those just get any card you want. Granted, this one's a little bit more niche, being that it has to be a wizard. But I mean, come on, if you're running wizards, it's typically in blue. And it's pretty much should be reading as, hey, just get wizard you want to your hand. It's kind of the same thing for Fabricate. 
pay three mana, get whatever type you want. So any kind of artifact for this case for three mana is very similar to this. So it's super strong and it's very unusual that blue gets the ability to just flat out search for a creature. Usually that's green or white or even red in some situations. So this is a very understated card for blue, provided that you are using wizards. Now moving right along to my number four, I have a very unusual card as well, which seems to be the theme for Future Sight. We have a card called Chronomatic Escape. It costs six mana, four generic, and double white for a sorcery. And it has two separate effects. The first one being Suspend for three. And like we said before with Suspend, you go ahead, you exile this card from the game, and it gets so many counters on it. And then on your upkeep, you go ahead and remove them. And then once you reach zero, it comes into play. So to have the suspend cost, it's cost half of this for three, double generic and a white. But also if you hard cast it, it reads, until your next turn, creatures can't attack you. Remove this card from the game with three counters on it. So this is a card that's unusual because it self propels itself to being cast every three turns. You play it for three, it comes out three turns later. You pay it for six, it goes out now and will then come back three turns later. And it doesn't have the added clause of exiling or removing itself. So every three turns, you're safe. And it's a very unusual card that you can see that can recur itself on its own. Usually you need some sort of combo enabled for that to happen. So. This is an easy, strong way to ruin a person's play, especially if they're trying to attack you that turn. They have to attack someone else because you are now safe. You are in your own little cone of silence and you're sitting happy. I do like the fact that because it exiles itself with suspend time counters on it, it's very, very difficult to interact with or stop in any meaningful way unless it you know, gets countered when it actually gets cast. The timing can be a bit problematic, though, because making yourself unattackable only every three turns is not really all that great or dependable, even if it is three. But like I mentioned before with Joyra of the Gitu, cards exist that can speed up the recurring of time counters and suspend cards, either by taking off counters or adding more on or doing whatever you want to do. Generally, they end up being in red or blue, so you probably have to pair them with this card. But hey, it is possible, and free spells are always the best spells, so being able to completely shut off an opponent's aggressive play toward you, even if it is every three turns, is still pretty cool. There's actually a cycle of these cards, one in each color, that kind of have self-recurring suspend, others being Reality Strobe in blue, Arc Blade in red. But I think Chronomantic Escape is the most powerful of all of them and may deserve a place in some deck or other. Also something to note that you can also cheat this out possibly faster because if you have something like Pearl Medallion out that lowers the cost of white spells, inherently this lowers the cost of the suspend or even the overall greater cost of the card. So you can get this out sooner or later, making it a little bit more versatile for you for when you want. So you might not have to play with the time counters in this case, but again, like we've been saying, recurrable turns that people just can't mess with you is always good. Granted, you are susceptible to being killed with burn spells or mill, or any other form of that, so it only saves you so much, whereas Tefri's protection can really save you. So this is something that is very interesting and out of the blue, so if you end up dying a lot to big creatures, this might be a way to save you. Well, I'm going to go back to my blue, quote-unquote blue anyway, tutor theme for my next card. Number four on my list is Tularia West, and this is a land. Tularia West comes into play tapped, and you can tap it to give you one blue mana. Also, it has the transmute ability, which is something we haven't seen since the original Ravnica City of Guilds. So for three mana, one colorless and two blue, you can discard this card and then search your library for a card with the same converted mana cost, reveal it, and put it into your hand. You can only transmute as a sorcery. You may look at this land and think, well, it's great and all that I potentially have a tutor ability on a land, but what can you really get out of all of that? I mean, a card with converted mana cost zero, other than some suspend cards like Wheel of Fate and Ancestral Visions and maybe even Evermind from Kamigawa if you're really into random stuff, what is this really going to do for me? Well, remember, lands are cards that technically have converted mana cost zero. So right here, you have a land that tutors for pretty much any land in your deck. Do you like Expedition Map? 
you might even like this better because, hey, at the very worst, it's another land that you can put onto the battlefield whenever you want. Definitely true. And it's another unusual tutor for blue because, I mean, again, you're getting some sort of tutor that blue typically can't tutor for. And that is 100% what you're saying here, Kyle, and that is 100% true. But also, if you wanted to get something beyond land, there are some zero drop artifacts out there that are worth its weight. Ornithopter isn't really a card that you see in Commander that's more of a legacy kind of staple, but I mean you also have like your Chrome Mocks, you also have your Overflowing Chalices, and those all cost zero mana, so being able to get those to your hand to ramp really strong is really good too. Well, staying on with theme like we said with the unusual, my number three is exactly that. We're looking at a card called Centaur Omen Reader. It costs four mana, three generic, and a green for a 3-3 Centaur Shaman. And it reads, as long as this card is tapped, creature spells you play cost two less to play. So this is a very, very strong card for the fact that it's in green and it's lowering mana cost. Typically in other colors, you see something that is reducing the cost of something. Kind of like a Dragon Speaker Shaman you would see or something like that. But in this case, it has to be tapped for you to get that effect. So... Back in old school magic, the only real way to tap a creature is it had to be tapped from attacking. As the games progressed, we have a lot more weapons at our disposal now. We have a whole bunch of style from vehicles to equipments to even lands that do that. For vehicles, you have like Smuggler Copter, Cultivator's Caravan, but for the equipments, you have Springleaf Drum, Paradise Mantle, and for the lands, Survivor's Encampment and Hideout Settlement. The value you get off of that is ridiculous. You're either getting more mana, you're lowering costs, you're getting other stuff to activate. It's now getting better and better with the more stuff you throw out there. And the more you think about it, it's kind of like Inspired. And if anyone's ever seen or played against a King Mahar deck, the whole idea of that deck is to tap and untap. Through that, you inherently are getting the same kind of thing with this card. You're lowering your costs, you're getting to be good. Heck, this is a Shaman. Like, that's a relevant type no matter how you look at it. Also, it's a Centaur, which, I don't know, maybe might be a relevant type at some point in the future. And in addition, it's a Snow Creature, which that was only really relevant in sets like Ice Age and Cold Snap, but hey, who knows, maybe that's going to be relevant again at some point. Yes, it's a good catch, Stu. I totally forgot that this card existed, and I missed it in my overview, but if I had seen it, I might have included it in my list, too, because while I've never had the opportunity to play with this myself, I could certainly understand why someone would want to, and I'd probably even want to. Even if you do have to attack, it's a 3-3 body on a 4-drop card, which is really not all that bad, and the value that you're going to get from lowering the cost of some of your huge creatures in a green-related deck especially can be just really powerful. You guys are going to laugh for how I butcher this one, but comes to mind real fast, a commander that would totally love this card is Sachi, Daughter of Seshiru. That one has the effect to make it so all shamans can tap to produce double green. So think about that. You pay the four to bring out this guy. He then has the ability to tap for two and it lowers it by two. You're inherently getting a free four drop every turn. That is ridiculous. And I mean, with how much green loves its big creatures, that's almost like laughable for how easy it is to play out those guys. Well, I'm going to go more simplistic route yet again, Stu. My apologies, but I felt like I just had to mention this card. Number three on my list is another land, this time a white one, New Banalia. Again, New Banalia comes into play tapped and taps to add one white to your mana pool. And it very simply reads, when New Banalia enters the battlefield, Scry 1. This was a precursor to the dual-colored Scry lands that we saw from the Theros block, all the temples, Temple of Deceit, Temple of Epiphany, Temple of Mystery, you name it. And honestly, I think in some ways this is even better than a temples because it can go into more decks. And if I'm ever running a deck with white in it at all, this is a card that I will absolutely run. The scry one idea when a land comes into play doesn't really seem all that impactful when you first think about it, but I have found that scry lands are just incredibly valuable to have in any given deck. And New Banalia is one that slots into monocolored, slots into multicolored, slots into anywhere. And just from the fact that I play this in almost every single deck that I can made me really want to mention it and bring attention to the fact that, yes, this card does exist. Card selection on lands 
is really powerful. The lands inherently are the uh, second half of the coin in a deck. You can have really good cards, but if the lands aren't up to speed, the deck will underperform. And like you said with the Scry Kyle, it is very strong. Inherently, it makes it so that cards that typically do come into play tap have a better value in the late game. So that that means is, all right, if you were just to play a regular planes or just, I don't know, a guild gate of any type, you know, it's not really doing anything. So if you need something or you need a particular card to come up soon or now, you can then make it so you can dig a little bit. So you go ahead, you play this, you look at the top card. If it's something you don't want, you put it right to the bottom and you increase your odds of getting something better. And that's inherently what you're saying. And it's a great card. I don't think it goes for everything beyond maybe tricolored, but it's still really, really strong in those decks. Well, I'm staying away from your style, Kyle. I like the crazy complicated cards in this set, so I got to keep talking about them. My number two, ironically, costs two mana. It's called Arcanum Wings. It costs one generic and a blue, and it's an enchantment R that reads Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature has Flying. But also, for 3 mana, it has Aura Swap, which means that you can exchange this Aura with another Aura in your hand. So right here, it is very, very strong, because this way you are inherently able to cheat certain things into play. It's very similar to Master Transmuter, who has this effect but for artifacts, and any artifact, so it doesn't have to be just inherently an Aura. So it's kind of a little bit of a niche style, but it gives a value to blue that typically isn't there. Being able to flash in expensive Auras is extremely, extremely strong. I don't know, Stu. I kind of like this card, and I think it's a very cool design, but I'm not entirely sold on the value of having it in a deck because enchanting a creature and giving it flying, sure, evasion is a good thing and it's for a relatively low cost, but the aura swap ability, I mean, if you're going to do that, why wouldn't you just play other, in my opinion, better cards like tutors for different auras that you need from your deck to make sure that you have them reliably? or ramp cards or mana rocks to make sure that you get them out faster. Every once in a while, are you going to be able to cheat an undercosted like Eldrazi conscription into play? Yeah, maybe. But I don't know, does that happen often enough to justify me running this as a card in a deck? Especially when all it does is give a creature flying, it's not all that impressive. Sorry, I'm just not really a huge fan of ours in general, so the R swap doesn't really do it for me. Well, allow me to tempt you with another opinion, Kyle. See, the cool thing I like about this is if you were to play an Aura, it's typically at sorcery speed. So this inherently can give you some combo tricks. So it's not the fact that it has to be a vastly huge cost of thing like Eldrazi Conscription, but let's say we're talking in a blue-white kind of deck right? That likes its auras. All right, well, white has some ways to tutor form, like you said, yeah, blue has some ways to tutor form. But being able to make it so that your creature could live through something or save your life, like Pariah is a really strong card in the fact that it makes it so that you get one more turn. So if this is on the field, go ahead, pay the three mana. The one creature will die, sure, but inherently you will live. You're not telegraphing your punches as much, where typically when you play an aura, people are like, all right, that's a problem. We need to remove that now. So, like, another card that I really like is Bear Umbra. Once that card goes ahead and attacks, you know, it untaps all your lands. But the thing is, is you want, don't want the card to die because the totem armor will go off. So if you go ahead and you have a creature attack, isn't blocked, tap three, go ahead, flash that in, you now get the benefit where that wouldn't have happened before. So it is a little niche. It has to be in the right colors, but there are some strong synergies. You just have to be a little bit more clever with it. Well, I could certainly give that to you, Stu. But speaking of being clever, I'm actually going to veer away somewhat from the simplistic to a card that is deceptively simple, yet also complicated and powerful at the same time. My number two is Vincer Shaper Savant. This is a 2-2 human wizard legendary creature that costs four mana, two colorless and two blue. Again, it has flash, meaning it can be played at instant speed, and it has a simple ETB effect. When Vencer's Shaper Savant comes into play, return target spell or permanent to its owner's hand. This is kind of a weird wording for a card to try and figure out what it does, so let me explain it to you like this. It can return target permanent to its owner's hand, and permanent, of course, means anything, be it a planeswalker, a land, a creature, an enchantment, an artifact, etc. But it can also return target spell, 
meaning it can return instants and sorceries to a player's hand as well. What does that mean? Well, let's say somebody tries to play a Doomblade and kill off one of your creatures. You play Venser in response. The Doomblade gets bounced back to its controller's hand, meaning, sure, they can use it again if they have the ability and the mana too, but that instance of Doomblade gets removed from the stack and it doesn't do anything. That's kind of what Venser does here, and part of why he's so valuable is because He's not only a bounce spell on a creature's body, he's also sort of a counter spell on a creature's body. And that kind of flexible versatility on a wizard creature, which I don't have to tell you is a very relevant type, heck, this thing can be searched out with the likes of Vidalcan Aether Mage, is pretty darn powerful. That is a pretty cool combo trick, like what we've been talking about, Kyle, because then you can just go ahead and tutor it. It's inherently tutoring a counter spell willy nilly to you. But also remember, blue doesn't really like to kill stuff. Evacuation, washout, or cyclonic rift, it returns stuff to its owner's hand. So in this case, you can inherently get more recurrable value from Venser if you'd like, or you can clone it or copy it or have any of that stuff happen. So you can recurrably make it so this effect can go off and delay spells, which is really cool. And also something really cool is that it can also get around uncounterable spells. Supreme Verdict is probably the most seen card that can't be countered. But you're not countering it with Venser. You're just saying, hey, not now. Let's just do it next time. And so that card, yeah, can come out later. But you can then prolong it for a turn and then take the value that you want out of your board before that hits. So it is a very strong card. And the fact that it gives you protection from literally any scenario that you want. Venser is so great because he can be a quick chump blocker if you need him to. He's got a great ETB effect that if it's reused or copied or anything like that can get just bonkers really quickly. He's amazing on offense or on defense, whichever you need him to be. The only strike against him is that as a legendary creature, copying him doesn't really do you a whole lot of good because of course all the token copies are going to go away because of the legend rule. With an ETB effect like that, do you really care if they stick around? I know I personally don't. Well, you would be so right, Kyle, except there is one card that can get around it. Sakashima the Imposter is a legendary that can be a clone, but also be a clone that keeps its own name. So you could inherently keep Venser out. So if you're using her as commander, can you imagine the value you'd get from that? Also, it can return itself to your hands. You can recurrably keep the board clear and safe for you. That's, that is a sick combo right there. And I mean, playing against that would absolutely be horrible. And now on to our number one. So if you're ready to do that drum roll, here it comes. My number one is a card called Flesh Rither. It costs four mana, two generic and double black for a three, three horror. And it has one effect on it named Transfigure, and this is the only card in Magic the Gathering that has Transfigure. It costs one generic and double black. You go ahead and you sacrifice this creature. You then search for library for a creature card with the same converted mana cost as this creature and put it into play. Then shuffle your library. Lastly, you can only use this effect as a sorcery. So this is something that is really, really unusual for the fact that you can cheat something into play of an equal mana cost. You don't really see that too often in Magic. Usually it's some sort of instant or sorcery, like Wargate is something that you typically see, or Green Sun Zenith, where it's a one-shot effect that you can maybe get later. The fact that this is on a creature is very unusual, and also for the fact that it is in black is something that gives it a huge strength. Black can recur creatures very, very simply. So that makes it so, yes, you're paying four mana for a creature, and then later getting three mana for a four-costed creature. You can then under-cost stuff later in the game. And let's think about some of the four costs that are out there. Cryptgast is like a huge staple in black for just its mana doubling effect. Psalm Simulacrum is a staple in every deck. And I mean, if you're sticking on the black train, like Tree of Perdition is a really strong card to be able to bring out onto the field and like tutor for it without wasting a tutor. Like Kyle, can you think of any? Well, I mean, there are even gods you can put into play with this. If we're going in black, I can think of Erebos, God of the Dead. I'm pretty sure there are other ones too, like Hazaret, if you're going outside of just black. But anyway, this is very similar to the transmute mechanic, which we discussed on Talaria West and was originally created, like I said, back in the first Ravnica block. It was kind of a discontinued thing because Wizards generally doesn't like putting too many tutor effects into the game because it reduces randomness and randomness is very much a part of magic games and kind of ensures fairness in a lot of ways. 
but I don't know, in some ways Transfigure might be even more powerful than Transmute, because while Transmute gets you any kind of card from your deck that has the same converted mana cost and this effect only gets you a creature, I don't know. Putting a creature from your deck with a certain converted mana cost directly into play is pretty darn good. Let's think of cards like Birthing Pod, for example. We know how powerful a repeatable, sacrificing tutor effect like that can be. And like you were saying, Stu, this is in black, the king of reanimation. So the idea that you're just going to use this effect once and be done with it, you're just being silly. You can use this so many times, it's ridiculous. I'm going with my number one card, Aven Mind Sensor. Now, this is a white creature. It costs two colorless and one white, and it is a bird wizard with a 2-1 body. It also has flying, as you might expect, and flash, which seems to be one of my recurring themes here. It can be played at instant speed. If an opponent would search a library, instead, that player searches the top four cards of that library instead. I mean, come on. You talk about hate bears, creatures that generally cost between 2 and 3 mana that have bodies between 2-2 two, two and 2-1 two, or something like that, and really powerful effects. You have all kinds out there, like Leonin Arbiter and Thalia, Guardian of Throbin. Aven Mind Sensor is probably one of the best that there is, and for very good reason. Shutting off tutor effects, of which there are plentiful amounts in both Commander and casual and other competitive formats is just crazy. The flash here and the flying body are just icing on the cake as some added value to surprise people. Think of how insulting it is for somebody to play something like a demonic tutor for two mana, trying to search up any broken card in their entire deck. You throw this down and they're relegated to searching their top four cards for something that's probably not gonna be anywhere close to as good as what they were wanting. This thing is just so powerful, and it wrecks strategies for just three mana. Man, people are going to hate you if you can't get this off the board. You say demonic. I think of fetch land. They go ahead, they play the land for turn, they pop that, and now if there is no land on the top of their deck, they get nothing. They get literally nothing. That is even more insult to injury right there. This is a card, again, it used to be one of the more money cards of this set until the recent reprinting in the Amonkhet block, but it is a strong card, evasive, and hate bear, yeah, it's, it's warrant of that title. People hate that card, especially when they're tutoring for their combo pieces. And it's actually a really good card to help save some games. People play tooth and nail as a way to win the game, but, I mean, if they go ahead and they pay that, all that mana for... Like, you to, hey, I want to just tap a little bit of mana and make it so you have to hope those cards are right there on top. I would love to play that card just to make it so I have more turns to hopefully win the game. Now, granted, those cards could maybe be in the top four, and in that case, it didn't matter anyways. But, I mean, at least you gave it a shot. I mean, a quick, aggressive, evasive body, an effect like this that shuts off all kinds of broken things other people are trying to do and generally keeps the game honest... Really, what's not to like about Even Mind Sensor? And I'm so glad that because of the reprint, more people have access to this amazing card. And that is our pool time for today. If the water felt just right, be sure to check out our following segment in where we discuss the top 10 money cards from Future Sight. And hey, if you like the toys we're playing with today, let us know if any of them surprised you or could make their way into your decks as well. Tell us in the comments down below or let us know on Twitter at MTGTheCardPool you can also reach us for any inquiries by sending emails to mtgthecardpool at gmail.com. I'm Kyle Robertson. And I'm Stu Galetta, and we'll see you next time at The Card Pool.